welcome to another late edition of Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed. Thank you for bearing with me. Let me just let me just give you the snapshot of my life, okay? So we're like week three, three-ish uh, on my uh, current Zoloft withdrawal. Um, it's going okay uh, in the midst of it also. I, if you haven't noticed, I decided to take a social media purge, so... I deactivated my Facebook, my Instagram, I restarted my Reddit and Imager accounts. I'm just trying to start fresh, right? I'm trying to really tackle this thing head on. Um, So in the midst of all that, dude, I've had so many times where it's just like, I don't even, I can't even, I don't even want to do the podcast anymore. And then I realize it's probably my mental illness kicking in. Uh, So one of our oldest listeners ryan davis right he uh started listening to the show when he was drinking and we you know he started messaging us kind of uh figuring out if maybe he had a problem and and we we found out that um he lived near debesh so we hooked him up with debesh and debesh started sponsoring him sponsoring him taking him through the steps of the aa program and um he had a few bumps in the road after that but um you know, he's currently sober, which is really awesome. It's just kind of a cool story of someone that started listening and, you know, hopefully we played a small role in him getting sober. Um, so I finally got him on the show to tell his story. We recorded an interview last night and, uh, Skype froze and my entire computer crashed and I lost the whole interview. It was at that point that, uh, I called the suicide help hotline not really, but I got, it was just like, dude, come on, like, throw me a bone here, God, someone, please, this is so aggravating, but we pushed through, uh, I got him on again tonight, we recorded the interview, it turned out awesome, um, Ryan's a great guy, uh, and we are, we are, we over here, and the rest of the congregation are very proud of him, um, so, you know, without further further delay uh this is ryan's interview also in bigger news well big news um i've been talking to brad again and he's coming back on the show to give everyone an update of kind of what's going on uh he's long story short he's he's doing better but i'll let him kind of tell the whole story um also check out our uh merch store at storefrontier.com backslash church and other drugs we got um, I just put out my favorite shirt of all time. I know I say that every time, but it's uh, Sir Smoke a Lot from Half Baked, Dave Chappelle. Um, just please go look at it; it's hilarious. Um, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Church and Other Drugs. Uh, I'm doing a Patreon with Dan Coke um, this week. Uh, on that'll be like Monday or next week. Um, and yeah, with the t-shirt thing and the running deal is if y'all have any, if y'all want to design a t-shirt, the deal is I'll give you a free t-shirt. So surprise me, man. Email me at churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com. Um, I don't know when I'll be back on Facebook, but just bear with me. Honor my, my pledge, please. And just don't, uh, dude, I have, it's, it's with running a podcast. The biggest fear was like, dude, I can't. I can't disconnect from social media or everyone's just going to forget about me. So please prove me wrong and just, you know, keep listening. Thanks, guys. I know you 
happened was me and ryan recorded probably the best interview of all time uh yesterday y'all would have cried y'all would have cried laughed oscars would have been pod pod (laughs) what would pod i can't the potties i think are the podcast awards anyway and then my song what lonely island song exactly and then my Damn computer just froze on me, crashed, and we lost it all. And with it went my entire will to live and everything. So now I'm super paranoid about this because I feel like uh, I feel like the demons are trying to win, Ryan. I feel like they don't want your story out there. My story, yeah, yeah. Do you what? Are, what are your thoughts on? I have mixed feelings about demons. What are your thoughts on demons interfering with electronic recording? Um, I think uh, technology just kind of fucks itself up sometimes. Um, that's, that's no and maybe you watch too much porn. <laughs> uh, I will have you know this computer is porn free. Thank you very much. This is a this is a, a high tech state of the art machine that is only for podcasting. Oh, I use Android, so it doesn't mess with my phone. I do too, <laughs> man. iPhones are whack. <laughs> I used, we had Apple products before they were cool, back when they were shitty. So, like, it was very ironic growing up because, like, we had, like, an iMac. We had a, I don't think we had an app. We had the one before the iMac. And then we got the iMac. And so, back then, there wasn't a single computer game except for, like, StarCraft that you could play on Mac. And just everything sucked. And then, like, and then all of a sudden, Macs became the cool kid in town. And then I jumped ship over to Android and Windows. All you needed was StarCraft. Wait, what? All you needed was StarCraft. Yeah, dude, that game was legit. You good? Adjusting? I'm good. I'm adjusting. I'm adjusting my strap. It's windy up there in uh, Portland, eh? Up, Yeah, up in Oregon. That's yeah, beautiful. Got a sun. lot. Yeah, lovely. All the pollens in the air. Make y'all, your head feel like you're going to explode. Y'all actually have... I don't know if... Do you have, like, south-level pollen, though, where it, like, literally looks like rain sometimes or, like, a dust storm? Ooh, no, I don't think so. But it's a different pollen. Is it just weed, mainly? <laughs> um. Well, now, yeah, you get the weed weed pollen coming up from the south. But... uh, Is that a real I thing? Believe- I don't know. It probably like how how many square acreage of pot farms do you think are up there? No clue. Most of the good grows are in warehouses. Oh, uh, like what's the address? 
Uh, I'll for, check with my coworkers for research purposes. What and what time does security leave? Just find out Dude, those bits of information. You don't even have to steal it anymore. You can buy it for forty dollars an ounce. Well, dude, if I had forty dollars, then I would buy it. But that's true. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, patreoncom slash Uh So I don't have to go rob a. Just kidding. But so Ryan, thanks for coming back on. We're gonna we're gonna tell your story. All right. By God, the demons will not prevail. We're going to tell your story. So, how'd you grow up, man? Where are you from? Um, born and raised around Portland, Oregon. Uh, grew up in a very conservative, religious uh, household. Uh, Assemblies of God, since I can remember. Um, uh, my dad was an elder at the church. Uh Seemingly normal childhood, except for, um, you know, I got diagnosed with diabetes when I was really young, um, which was a rough ride there, among other health stuff. I was real sick when I was little, um, but things kind of leveled out um, cool. then my mid-teens. Yeah. Bre- break down real quick what Assemblies of God is. Um, it's pretty conservative, fundamental. Um, the church I went to got kicked out of the Assemblies of God, so this could be off base of the mainstream of the denomination, but, um, believed in, like, the workings of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, stuff like that. Um, Don't, Don't forget my favorite. The, uh, the shofar. The shofar. <laughs> For what? those listeners out there, the shofar is a ram's horn um, that uh, uh, that some old guy in the back of the service will blow um, while worship is happening, um, just to make a lot of noise. <laughs> I'm so I'm gonna get because you know, like I said, I've I've blown chauffeurs before, and that joke was good enough in my mind to recycle. Thank you very much. Hold for laughter and <laughs> uh, no, but real talk. I'm gonna get a horn of chauffeur, sh- chauffeur, and uh, bust it out during worship this Sunday, and we're gonna see how it goes. Oh, please record that. The Holy Spirit will move over that congregation. What? It'll never be the same. What? What if like all <laughs> all kidding aside, watch me like do that, and you like reading the paper like revival comes to Lafayette, Louisiana, starting from. The blowing of the chauffeur. Well, usually it starts with half half the congregation leaving and starting their own church, <laughs> and then the revival comes. I will start the church of chauffeur. Where? <laughs> oh, that's such an awesome, awesome. I really, dude. Ancient like Kukumani, uh religious. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> What do they do? Like order, not liturgy? Is that what that is? Gosh, I'm brain dead tonight. No, just tradition or ceremonies. Something. Ceremonies. I mean, I don't even know if that was religious. It was just they ripped it off from the Jews. <laughs> well, technically, didn't we rip our whole thing off the Jews? But, but everything, I, yeah. But I digress. Um. So how? What was the dynamic at play in being? Because I imagine there was plenty of faith healing right 
Uh, yes, there was a lot of praying for healing. Um, uh, so the dynamic in play, like just in general or. Well, being someone, so you got diagnosed with like some pretty serious, uh, chronic illness when you were a kid. So did naturally, I would assume you went to the, the healing ceremonies. Uh, yeah, they didn't have like healing ceremonies generally, like during service, they would have prayer times and you know you could go up for prayer for whatever. And I was up there for healing every week, you know, getting prayed over and, you know, anointing oil and all that jazz and, you know, did that for years and years. And, you know, I was often told, you know, if, if you get things right with your spiritual life and with God, like then it'll be able to happen, you know, which definitely was something that told me a lot that things weren't right and that God was not okay with me. Did you, could, do you remember like pinpointing it to like, Oh, maybe it's because I'm doing X, Y, Z back then. Or like, it was like, I don't know what else I can do here. Um, you know, it was specifically like the thing I saw as my, like it was like specific quote unquote sin issues. Like, you know, when I was old enough to be able to see, you know, behavior in me that wasn't approved in general, you know, then it would be the focus on that, whether it was, you know, um, lying or doing something that somebody wasn't seeing or, you know, the big condemnation in my life growing up was, um, probably early teens was porn. Like that was when the internet came out and, you know, got to be where everybody had it and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that was readily available. So that was a huge source of shame and it was something that we didn't talk about, you know, um, our family was upstanding, should have been good. Like my dad was an elder at the church. Like we didn't have problems that people could see. Mm. And so, you know, for me, I was very consciously aware of my stuff that I knew was just not acceptable. Um, so it oftentimes came back to, you know, porn or whatever. Um, Cause that's just a huge purity culture thing too. Yeah. You know, did did you did you like do you think you ever seriously thought if I get this under wraps then God will heal me? Yeah. I I seriously thought that if I could figure out how to control it um which is very interesting uh to put it that way. Um but uh if I could figure out how to manage or control what I did that I knew God didn't approve of that maybe I could be healed, you know? Yeah. That's a, God, that's a heavy load for, for a young lad for sure. So what, so moving into your upper teens, when did life change for you? I guess. Uh, life really changed for me when I was probably 15, I think. Um, my mom all of a sudden seemingly out of the blue uh ended up leaving my dad and taking me with her um pretty much not making it an option for me to leave 
um, for me not to leave. Um, do you have any you know, siblings? She had a lot of, yeah, I had two older brothers. One was out of the house. One was away at the college, also okay. out of the house. Um, so I was pretty alone. Um, but, you know, my mom had a lot of mental health issues, um, which probably resulted in this happening. Yeah. Were you, like, forbidden from speaking to your dad? Was it that kind of scenario or, like, heavily frowned upon or? I couldn't. I was told that my dad was dangerous um, to me. Um, I was given a picture of who my dad was that wasn't a reflection of reality. Right. Um, And I was isolated from the church I grew up in a lot of people around me for probably a good six months solid, you know, saw my relatives once or twice, you know, my brothers or whatever, but it was a rough period for a year, year and a half. I didn't know what to think. You know, I heard one side of a story and, um, didn't hear any, uh, any other account of it. So I only had one thing to believe. Yeah. Jeez. You know, um, and it was very poisonous, really. So what did that lead into? Um, really dark depression. Um, I dealt with depression. Every counselor I ever went to said, it sounds like you were depressed when you were very young, you know. Um, but I dealt with an extremely bad bout of it. Uh, during that period for about a year. Um, you know, I remember as a 15, 16 year old kid just laying in bed for months on end, just nothing. Not that there was nothing to do. It was just, there was nothing that was worth doing. So when, what, well, and interestingly, was it alcohol, sweet lady booze that pulled you out of that? Or when was when was your first drink? Uh, my first drink was when I was nineteen. Um, late, boy. and that was yeah. I was very late. Most of the people I talked to are like twelve. <laughs> like, all right, started late, started fast. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, my first drink I ever had, I was nineteen, and it it was like half a beer at some function with people I knew at church. It was not a church function, but, you know, got the shit chewed out of me for that, you know, and that didn't really start drinking until I was just a couple of weeks before I was 21. Yeah. Uh, but when, you know, what, what pulled me out of that spot, I guess I kind of ended up leaving my mom's house, moved back in with my dad after I got in touch with some people and they started, when I started driving, you know, I could do a little more of what I wanted um, and started realizing I don't have the whole story here. But I was depressed all through school. What Pretty uh, bad. When, well, when was, so that was your first drink. When was the drink that made you fall in love? It was about two weeks before my 21st birthday. Uh, I bought a a bottle, I think it was a quart of uh, apple pie moonshine from a coworker. And this is like 
straight out the woods, real deal, uh, Pacific yeah. Northwest moonshine. He told me don't eat the apple slice in it. Did you eat it? <laughs> oh, I ate it. <laughs> oh God. And that, that's another, these are, it's so funny in retrospect, all the like red flags going off, but it's like the fact that, uh, you know, most people have a little like strawberry mojito to start out with, but you just went straight for literal grain alcohol. Yeah. So what did it do for I, you? Dude, it was, it's made everything. Everybody says it made everything make sense or whatever. For me, it just took away all the shit that I felt, you know, all the made me able to stop thinking, you know, um, took away all the thoughts about shit from the past, um, trying to figure out what the heck my life was about, just repressed all of that. And I was like, I can be here and I can be now for the moment is probably the best way I could explain it. No, yeah, that sounds... I mean, that sounds lovely, Ryan. I'm not going to lie. We should... Uh, let's just... Uh, let's grab a drink then. Let's let's wrap it up. That uh, I'm sold. <laughs> right? No, it didn't work out? No? <laughs> no. No, because eventually it takes a lot to be here now, and eventually everything came back up. Yeah, in more ways than you one. Know. So what... Oh, uh, yeah, once or twice. So walk me through the early days and kind of how that progressed. Oh, the early days. Um, let's see. 21st birthday went out and got wasted, as you do. Um, actually, on my 21st birthday, I asked my uh, boss for booze um, because I was working that day and wasn't supposed to be. Um so that's a uh, should have figured it was going to go downhill from there, but uh, went out and got wasted on my twenty first and had a great time till I ended up puking in the bathroom. But uh, then from there I started drinking. Uh, couldn't drink whiskey anymore, so I stayed away from that. So I started drinking gin. Um, but I for first couple of years I didn't really drink a whole lot of like mixed drinks or beers or anything like that because gin was easier to hide yeah Um, and it was more you know you could shove it in the freezer uh i'd have a beer occasionally with roommates but you know i worked uh swing shift a lot and uh you know i'd come home at midnight think ah have a few drinks no big deal um usually a few drinks was enough to get me pretty drunk um so it wasn't you know a beer or two a drink or two it was knock me out for the night Mm -hmm. go to work in the morning you know um there were times even early on where i'd like polish off a fifth of gin that i'd started into the day before you know and woke up still feeling it like showed up to thanksgiving one time drunk like, oh, fuck, when I woke up, because my roommate was coming with me. I'm like, oh, shit, now I have to drive. I'm still feeling it. And I got to go visit family. Dope. And family um, has no idea at this point. Family does not know. Um, most of my family didn't really know I had a drinking problem until, like, 
around when I went to rehab in 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the way I drank, like, I, I had roommates. I By the time I was financially capable, I moved out of my situation with my roommates and moved in on my own. Um, and that meant I could do whatever I wanted, and what I wanted to do was drink. So what was, which is always, whenever you move out, on your own that's usually the the either the beginning or the end or it's like the greatest thing to happen to your drinking at first and then it just becomes the absolute worst because exactly it's like you then have unfettered access to do whatever the hell you want like did it what did your drinking turn into you know it turned into nightly drinking um after work pickup I started drinking beer IPAs because they were easier to get late at night, um, and they still hit pretty well. I mean, started out just drinking. You know, this is Oregon. You can uh, you can get anything when it comes to beer. You can get beer up to fourteen percent. Really? You know? Yeah, they got some. I think it's twelve or fourteen alpha del not alpha delic. I. I do know my beers, <laughs> but, um, uh, there's a brewing company that does a double IPA that's 12%. Oh, nice. But, well, that's like, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, so you can get a six pack of beer and get going pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for, you know, I'd pick up a six pack for a long time for years and years. I just drink beer after work and drink some more on the weekend, you know, hard liquor on the weekend, beer after work during the week. Um, got to, that was a two or three years and it would go through bouts, you know, where it would affect my work. Um, and I'd slow down, you know, but never really stop. I had a few times where I went cold Turkey, um, or tapered down. Um, definitely was drinking enough to feel it when I went cold Turkey um were you getting getting the shake so yeah you, did, you, you got the shakes what are the withdrawals you went through um i would get the shakes you know the usual irritability shit i would uh find that when i was driving to work everything would start vibrating and that's like i was like not a good sign i don't know what this is but it probably has something to do with not drinking <laughs> yes I was drink. that's the only thing that changed right <laughs> you know so, you know, it got pretty bad to where I was feeling just morbidly depressed and anxious and just so to so reliant on something else to function, you know, uh, whether it was that I needed to drink or that I was just so depressed that I couldn't do anything. I started, you know, calling in sick to work and... You know, then they started asking questions, and I said, "Well, I'm really, really depressed," which I was. I was also yeah, drinking not really, a really heavily. <laughs> you know, I forgot to leave out the heavy drinking part. I mean, I forgot to inform them about the heavy drinking right, part. Right. You know, so I went to an outpatient, intensive outpatient over on the other side of town for a while. Went to that treatment and worked. Um, what did you think and, of that? Well, the bullshit was they stuck me in the co-occurring group. And I was like, you know, I, 
I don't have a problem with drinking, you know. I just, <laughs> I just, I just drink a lot because I feel terrible. Um, you know, they would ask me, so do you want to quit drinking? I'm like, I'd drink less if I didn't feel so bad. <laughs> True. I mean, yes, absolutely. I drink to feel feel better, and they're like, so you're self medicating? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds so, good. Sounds about right. Um. It's no different than an antidepressant. I mean, what's the big deal, man? That's right, except the come down on the other side is a little more severe. Well, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm suffering <laughs> off, off of this antidepressant it's still, withdrawal. It's still killing you? It, dude, it's... Uh, I think I think it's getting better. I pray it's getting better. It's still... I'm just like... It, right now, it's just irritation. And like, like literally, when, when my... When my computer crashed yesterday, like I literally almost destroyed my setup. Like I literally like oh. wanted to break, and then I was like, "All right, calm down. This is this is okay. You're gonna live." But it just it you know just I usually don't have flashes of rage like that. But you know it's getting better. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> so when did so? All right, so you went through outpatient. You know it's all bullshit. Yeah, I was like twenty sixteen. I think they were like, have you ever tried AA? You know, at some point came up and I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Something like that. Cause I, I mean, I was honest with them. I have a hard time not drinking, you know, it's like, you know, while I was doing outpatient, I tapered down a lot, you know, a couple beers in a night would get me through, you know, um, just to do whatever, take the edge off after work or whatever. But, you know, went into uh, AA. I think it might have been a little after that one time. I remember because I found the meeting schedule from 2016 in my car. And I was like, oh, fuck that. Because <laughs> um, I went I went to a, a book study uh, one, one day after work or before work. And I had been drinking a lot and I went in and I'm pretty sure I looked like total shit. Um, and the gal that was chairing the meeting in, she meant the best in the world. I'm sure she said, you know, you may be able to find a meeting that would fit you better. No. Yeah. Yeah, It was like that. That was years ago. So, you know, in my head, it could have been like the most mundane, nicest thing. Sure. You know, but sure. my head was like, oh, so either I'm too fucking alcoholic for you or yeah. Jeez, you don't want me man. to screw you guys. Yeah, I'm out of here. But, um, you know, then I was just like, through that outpatient, though, I got to where I was more stable with getting to work. I was drinking a lot after I got out of that you know, a few months later, you know, um, then it was a couple of years before things got bad again. Um, I was drinking heavy, making a mess of things, still hacking it through work. They were still happy with what I was doing. Um, then early 2018, things just kind of fell apart. I'd made a mess of a bunch of relationships. Um, just people that I'd met, like I just fucking made a few fool of myself, used them, you know, tried to get what I felt I needed out of it. 
you know, um, you know, and just said, fuck all this, you know, and just started just hitting the bottle really hard. Um, basically I spent seven months after like April that year, just drunk all the time. Last few months I'd be drunk at work, drinking, you know, I'd go through half a case of beer a day, uh, a couple of 20, 20 ounces, 22 ounces in the morning to get everything going, get into work, still buzzed, still pissed off, still a total asshole. Um, but what point did yeah. you, uh, find our show? Uh, I don't know, middle of the year in 2018. So, and you, were, yeah, you were still drinking. Yeah, I spent a lot of 2018 trying to figure out what was wrong with me as long as it wasn't being alcoholic. <laughs> How'd that work out? You know, it didn't, like, all I could find was, like, personality disorders. I'm like, looking at this shit, I'm like, okay, I match this. I'm like, yeah. what if I'm this? How do they deal with this? Long-term rehabilitation treatment, basically. <laughs> like, like, oh, the same, well, same treatment as alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> this fucking sucks, man. I was looking for an easy way out here. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, well, and tell me so, what's wrong with me. And, and I remember that's when, like, you, you started reaching out to us, and then we figured out that, uh, that Debesh lived in Portland, right? Yeah. And that's when you guys linked up. Yeah, so that was... I started going to AA again uh, in September or October or something. Um, I was just... I was falling apart. Like, somebody caught my stash of booze at work like and my employer uh is pretty uh flexible with their rules um so it wasn't exactly a big deal um there are quite a few people at our workplace that understand substance abuse um and there are a few people who you know at the time were using you know or were alcoholic are alcoholic you know, we're abusing booze or whatever. And it's like, oh, you came into work buzz, not really a big deal. Right. So to maintain that through the day, maybe that's not a big deal either. Especially, you know, I'd been there five, four, four years. Um, like I'd done really well for the company for, you know, two, three years, you know. So it was like, we can kind of overlook this. Yeah. Protect their investment. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, is how I <clears throat> kind of perceive some of those decisions, but you know what they were thinking and what I perceive, I don't know exactly what who knew. So right, but I know my direct superior. He was like, "Just fucking don't get caught." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, started going to AA and. Like I would go to meetings and they'd be like, just keep coming back. I'm like, it's not fucking working because I get out of a meeting and I think, man, I would really like to drink or I'm sitting in a meeting and think, oh, you're going over this bullshit again. I want to drink. Yeah. 
know, I'm like, I don't fucking get it. You guys say you have an answer. We read, you know, they read the 12 steps every time, except I couldn't look up and see what they were, what they were saying to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I was coming in hungover or drunk, you know, um, I was like, okay, I don't know. You guys seem to have an answer. You know, I knew Debesh was in Portland and kind of, kind of pretended I didn't know he was in the area. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah, we, we, we kind of fucked you on that one. Oh, what? Get, putting me with the best or, uh, yep. yeah, well, we, we, <laughs> fu- we fucked your drinking. That is. Oh yeah. Yeah, you did. Um, but, uh, then ended up, yeah, I got in touch with the best and he started trying to work with me and, you know, he started trying to work the program slow and I was like, I can't do slow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I have to drink. I, I was at a point where I was drinking daily, you know, and I had to be drunk or else I couldn't live, you know, for me, I, I got things done when I was buzzed. Yeah. You know, I, I did my life drunk to some degree, you know, without it, I couldn't do much. Um, but got in touch with the best, started trying to work it. I was like, I can't last long enough. He's like, okay, we'll do the crash course. <laughs> yeah. And we started working through this stuff and eventually you get to a point where you write down all your resentments and you list, you know, who, who you're resentful towards, you know, what happened, you know, all this shit, how it affected you. And then a lot of times someone will have it say, why did I feel this way about this? Or what was my part in it? Um, most people do what was my part. Mm -hmm. And through that, I did this list of resentments and it was all the big resentments that I could think of, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we went through that stuff and then the best was like, okay, here's what I need you to do. Need you to get in touch with two of your closest friends, ask them what your greatest character defects are. I'm like, Oh fuck. (laughs) And this was November, like early November. Um, cause I had 17 days sober when I relapsed in November. Um, right after Thanksgiving, uh, cause I was afraid to ask my friends what my defects were. Hmm. And, uh, so I relapsed and he's like, yeah, it's cause you probably didn't do your resentments. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, well, fuck. And I, I didn't <laughs> believe him at first, you know, but I, I was like, at that point, my boss was like, you got to do something. Cause I actually, a couple months before went into the ER trying to get into a rehab, <clears throat> or a treatment, and I figured that was the best way to do it. <clears throat> well, come to find out, if you go into ER on a Saturday and you tell them you're suicidal and alcoholic, and they just throw you in a room. Oh, that <laughs> like, sucks. They don't really get a whole lot done. Like, they throw you in, like, the, the suicide watch room, and it's like, fuck. So I sat there for, like, a day, and I talked them into letting me go. Uh you know, and then went on nothing, my way. nothing will make you want to kill yourself like a suicide ward, dude. I tell, I tell you what, God, I was like, holy shit, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I said to my boss. I was like, dude, 
I wanted to kill myself in there more than out. Yes, dude. They're but, the worst. You know, it was, uh, did that. Then I call up the best. I'm like, so, you know, any good rehabs? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> Gave me the number for one. Uh, like, like, you know, I, I called and they're like, oh, we can get you in tonight if you make it in by nine. I'm like, well, fuck. So I end up going up there. And I got as loaded as I could before I got up there. Um, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I only naturally. One three. I, I couldn't find enough beer. Like I went home. I was gonna pack. I was gonna drive up, and I was like, "Oh, I have, I have something to drink here." <laughs> so I, I ended up. I called my dad. I was like, "Hey, dad, I need you to take me to rehab." He's like, "What?" Oh, so that's like when he found out. Yeah, he. I I showed up at his place one time, like a couple months before, freaking out because everything was falling apart. I was in debt up to my eyeballs, and like he knew I'd been drinking at that point, but he didn't know how much I'd been drinking. Um, you know, at that moment he knew, but you know, so his knowledge of me having a serious problem was me calling him up and saying, Hey, can you drive me to rehab? Ooh, that's a bombshell. So, yeah. So he took you up to so, rehab though. So he got me up to rehab, sat in detox for uh, two days. Detox there, went into their inpatient. Then went through that whole process, spent 35 days up in treatment up in there. Um, Kind of figured, one, rehab is an easy program to work, man. Like, at least that one was. I was like, oh, I know all the answers to this. Yeah, totally. I'm like, and a lot of the people coming in, like, I, I had, you know, I got over the worst of the hump of withdrawals. You know, my relapse was over a weekend, you know, which you're going to have some withdrawal from, but not as bad as people coming in who'd been loaded for the last three months straight. Right. You know, so I had a leg up there, <laughs> so, but, um, went into treatment, like did all the group counseling. They took you to a meeting every day or they had a meeting in house every day. Um, every other day, I think it was, but, and it got through the program, um, got out, Moved in with a guy that got out of treatment just a bit before me, which Debesh definitely told me was a really bad decision. Yeah, I, I, I'm sitting here now telling you that's a really bad decision. Come to find out it's a terrible decision. It's an awful decision, dude. The worst. But did did uh, you stay sober? Uh, I made it um, to 88 days. Was that so? I saw you at BC Con. Was that pre or? I was you... sober. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was sober until the end of February. I got back from, I got back from there, and I got started getting sick. Like the sickness had gone around at work. Um, I got sick a couple weeks later, and I started drinking Dayquil. Like, no alcohol, just DayQuil. I was like, fuck, man. This gets me feeling better. 
So I drank more Dayquil. <laughs> I was like, this gets me feeling a lot better. So I went, God, I think I drank two thirds of a bottle of Dayquil at work one time in two hours. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice little robo trip there, my friend. And you know, I wasn't tripping. The Dayquil is lower on the DXM, but it's, it's uh, got an, it's got enough. It'll, it'll get you somewhere for yeah. sure. But then I thought, well, this got me somewhere. It did. Um, I didn't go on a trip. I thought, well, maybe I'll just try this. Mm. <laughs> and I bought some off the shelf DXM, um, and popped like 120 milligrams or something and did it a couple times. Um, first time everything just started vibrating and I did not like it. <laughs> like on the way up, it was all right. When I hit the top, I was not cool with it. I was like, <laughs> I just want this to end. I was like, well, but it, okay, I'll try it one more time. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> Classic, classic, classic addiction. That if when yep. people ask me the difference between like a normal person and an addict, it it's it's as simple as if you've ever done like a substance or something that you don't like, a normal person will never do it again. The addict will say, Well, maybe I just like didn't do it right. Let me let me try that again. <laughs> yeah, so went for round two. You know, I dropped into a couple AA meetings, found a couple people you know, that I'd talked to about sponsorship, didn't follow through, you know, met with one guy who from all I could tell from what he said was not an alcoholic. So I was like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Mm. Um, just cause what I remember him saying was like, you know, I found the problem with alcohol. And at that point I knew the problem was not alcohol. Right. You know? So I was like, eh, so I kind of talked to another guy who seemed pretty legit. He gave me his number, said, call me if you want to do this. You know, met him w once or twice, and he was like, do this stuff. And, you know, went to a few meetings, but wasn't doing anything, you know. Um, and then, you know, I, I went on that trip, um, tried DayQuil, tried the DXM, Reset my sobriety date when I talked to this, that guy, talked to Nick. Um, he was like, well, you knew what you were doing, right? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you got to reset your date. I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, figured I could get out of it. Yeah. Um, then, it, you know, I, I went a couple of weeks after that. And then just one day after work. You know, during work, I was like, I got to get out of here. And I got to get something to drink. You know, and it, it was just like, I know what's going to happen if I drink. But there's nothing else I can do. Um, so I left work about half an hour early. I was like, hey, can you uh, finish this up for me? I got to take care of something. <laughs> you know, and picked up a couple tall boys. And then the next day I split work, picked up a couple tall boys and a six pack, you know, and I even said to myself, I know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're going to get this many, you're going to drink this many, 
like I said, I'll just get some and drink two. And I also said to myself, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get six and you're going to drink all six. Is this what you want? And it, there was no other option. Like, I was in such a dark place. You know, nothing was right in me that I couldn't do anything else because I didn't know how else to survive. Right. You know, because I'd thought about killing myself every day for the last two weeks. And the only reason I didn't try was because I didn't have my gun. <laughs> you know, I gave that to somebody to hang on to that for smart. that reason. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I, I could have gone out and bought a gun and killed myself, you know, but it was like, this is just an easier route right now, you know? And so went and got loaded for four days straight. I called into work, said I was sick, just drank all day. My roommate wasn't paying attention, didn't care. Um, he was smoking weed, and he was like, you know, when I talked to him after, after I left, uh, he was like, you know, your business is yours. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. But, you know, I got a call from my boss, both my bosses on, like, Thursday. They're like, what's going on? I was just like, I'm just not feeling well. Couldn't come in. You know, I missed Wednesday and Thursday at work. And they're like, so you're going to be in uh, tomorrow? Yeah. And one of my bosses asked, where are you drinking? Like, yeah. Are you going to drink? No. Then I drank that night. You know, um, went into work Friday and I was just fucking losing it. You know, I was just hung over and just something had happened that I blamed for my drinking, you know, and it was just my, my boss who's in the program, one of them, um, he, uh, was like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, so what do you want to do right now? I'm like, I don't fucking know. He's like, do you want to be sober? I'm like, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I just don't have any other option, you know? And he's like, do you want to go to a meeting? You know, he's like, did you call your sponsor? Did you do this? Is your roommate using? Like, roommates using he's like why the fuck did you move in with him because because i'm a retard <laughs> i'm sorry that's not politically correct because i i was making really terrible decisions right you know um he's like so you want to go to a meeting oh and you need to call your sponsor <laughs> like sweet the sponsor i hadn't talked to in like three weeks um so I'm like, I don't want to go to a meeting, Mark, but let's go. So my manager took the day off work, dragged me up to a meeting up on the other side of town, about 45 minutes away, went to a meeting. He talked through, I mean, he sat me down and talked with me about 
what is it you even want? You know, um, really did some 12 step work with me. Um, and just kind of laid out, here's what you need to do. You need to go sit down with your sponsor, figure out what you're doing, start working with them. You know, so that weekend called my sponsor up. My sponsor was like, yeah, we can work the program. I'm like, I'm like, I was legitimately desperate. I was like, I don't have any other way to live right now, you know? And he's like, we can work it. I'm like, can we work it fast? <laughs> he's like, we can work it fast. Um, and we worked my first time through the 12 steps was that weekend. Um, which is a bit nuts and is not recommended. Hey, but if you're dying, you're dying. So, But I was dying. Yeah. And in working that, in doing my resentment with him and how he showed me how to do it, he was like, dude, stop thinking about what you're pissed off about. Just write it down. I was like, then I got to see the things I was pissed off about. I got to see my part in things. And, you know, it, it, it was an eye-opening experience. Yeah. Um, doing that with, with him. And he let me crash at his place over the weekend, moved all my crap out of the place I was at, um, next couple days that week. And, uh, you know, moved back home to stay with some family for a couple months, um, which is a very safe space. So take that as you may, you know, no dude. Absolutely. Is that where you're at now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, so, man. So when's your when's your new sobriety date? Uh, March twenty second, twenty nineteen. That's a good date, man. So, Hang on to it. Yeah, the man. When I realized that, like, a change had occurred in the way I thought was when uh, Nick told me, "Save your, your fourth step. Save your resentments list. Save all the stuff we did, because you're going to want to be able to look back through it." And I was like, okay, I did it all in pencil, so I was going to go over it with pen, right? I'm looking through the shit I wrote, and I'm like, holy fuck. How can I write these things like this? Like, and I saw it, I saw it. It was so much focus on self, in me, at least, you know. Um, it was really an eye-opening experience to do that. That's awesome, dude. So how how's life today? It's uh pretty good. Crap happens. Of course. Um, I uh did get myself into a really unhealthy relationship two weeks after getting sober. It happens also. Yeah. Ended horribly. <laughs> but I didn't get drunk over it. That's and that's that is awesome, dude. That's that's a first in my life. Yeah, those are, I mean, once you get through those big challenges like that, I mean, maybe it's good that you went through it so early so that you can see it's like, well, so there really is no real excuse to drink again. There's no, you don't have to, right? It is, you know, at at this point for you, it is a decision. And, you know, just, just listening, I mean, it sounds like God was totally looking out for you, like with your boss and everything. Those are some pretty, uh. I mean, it's just a, it's just a, I mean, just even how we met and everything, it's, it's a pretty crazy 
story, right, of, like, how things would be different if, if X, Y, and Z weren't in place. So it's, I mean, I, for one, am very happy that, uh, you know, you didn't kill yourself and that you are sober. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty awesome, my friend. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely did have the ability to make the decision to drink or not to drink. You know, that's something I never really had before. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, it's a funny thing. Like when I talk to my family, some of my family, they're like, why did you drink again? I'm like, the last time I was like, I had excuses. You know, I had my reasons and there were bad reasons. Like my boss was like, that's a terrible reason. You did what you thought was the right thing in a situation and you drank over it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I guess you got a point. Um, you know, but it was just, it was just, you know, now I, I, ha- I have had the occasional thought, you know, what would make this really easy right now? Totally. You know, especially early on, you know, it would make it really easy right now. But then it's like, but that's not, you know, either I have the ability to think, yeah, make it easy, but look a week down the road and the ability to think, you know, just, I don't have to, it sucks. Like sometimes, but it's not the same. Yeah. And it, it gets easier and then it gets harder and then it gets easier. I mean, it's the, and I think you you're really following a good trajectory of your you got some good hard evidence of like what really happens if you drink again. I mean you you know you've tried it and like it's just that giant lie that you know next time it's going to be different and it just never it well it it's different but it's just yeah. 10 times worse. Um so what what would you so kind of in in closing out what would you say to anyone that may be where you were like in 2018 kind of on the fence Um fuck I hate all the AA bullshit of give it a shot you know <laughs> um but I don't know when I was on the fence in 2018, there wasn't much that could push me over except for my own condition. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2018, I was so morbidly depressed. I was, I wanted to die, you know, and I wanted to die more when I was sober and not drinking, um, sober. But, um, when I was not drinking, you know, I, through the dry spells, I felt more horrible than what I was using. You know, that's part of why I just kept doing it and why I kind of had to, you know. But, you know, if there's somebody listening in that spot, you know, the the 12 steps do change your perspective on things, you know, um, if done desperately. Yeah, you know, that's, that's I think they advice. can't be done on a whim or without the willingness to be desperately honest. Because some of the stuff is really scary to share until you share it. 
you know, and then pretty much whoever you share it with is like, yeah, that's usually they're like, yeah, that's not a big deal. Or yeah, I've done that. Or that probably wasn't the best, but you know, nothing shocks anybody else. Yeah, that's very true. If they've really been through it. So, right. Well, Ryan, we did it. We made it through no interference. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm, uh, Glad to call you friend, and I think you're doing really well, man. I'm, I'm very proud of you, I will say. All right. Thank you. Why, 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 why